The Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. You may have already heard about one of Second Mission Foundation's most glowing successes, The Hill, a memoir of war in Helmand Province by Aaron Kirk. The Hill is an account of the tragedy of war, the deeply personal experience of combat, and the raw, unfiltered brutality of lower enlisted Marine Corps life. This book follows Aaron Kirk's odyssey from civilian to Marine and back again, focusing on his time as an infantry squad leader in Garmsir Helmand province during the height of the Afghanistan troop surge. For that and all things related to Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. And I thank Second Mission Foundation for being a sponsor of this week's episode. As you guys know, Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, informative content. So go ahead. If you haven't in a while, surf the pages of Havoc Journal. Read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal's always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest this week was Tyler Heisey of Back Asthma Solutions. If you don't know Back Asthma Solutions on Instagram, which is where I found them, um, or through their site or any other outreach that they do, uh, you should. Tyler started Back Asthma Solutions as he gets closer and closer to being an actual mental health professional. And to have him on the show meant a lot to me. I was really looking forward to talking to him. It's the first time we've had someone that really is in the mental health space on this show. And I hope it won't be the last time. Uh, I want to give a little bit of a caveat to this conversation. So I was really looking forward to having Tyler on. Um, I'd been kind of giving him the side eye for a while about, okay, when am I actually going to pull the trigger and bring him on? And um, when he was booked, I was really excited. I had so so many things I wanted to ask him about, talk to him about. And then like... The two days before the show, I had a really good two days. And you know how, like, sometimes, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, you know how you have to kind of be in the right headspace to see Schindler's List or the right headspace to see, um, I don't know, Saving Private Ryan? Like, like, you can't just enter it casually. Kind of, You kind of have to be like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm getting into. I just was in a headspace where I was like, man, I'm really enjoying kind of talking philosophically with Tyler or talking um, kind of from a 30,000 foot view uh, 
But I was like, I, I don't have the stomach for the nitty gritty right now, which is the wrong answer uh, for certainly for an interview show. And I was like, uh, and at one point you'll hear in the episode, you know, he brings up his divorce and I'm like, you know, that scene in the Terminator where the Terminator is like getting questioned by that guy in the hallway. And he like has a list of like eight different appropriate responses that he has to select from in order to say the right words to the human being. Um, that's kind of what I had going on with Tyler. I was like, okay, I see all the options, all the avenues I should be pursuing here. And I'm going to go with option G and <laughs> it's probably not the right one. It was just to kind of like, I'm, I'm just going to punt on it for a minute. And I'm not thrilled. I did it. I was kind of kicking myself. I was like, yeah, I really, yeah, dude, there's obvious questions there. We should really dive into it. Um, I just kind of was like, man, I'm, kind of emotionally tired. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I've had a good couple of days, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like kind of going down that rabbit hole right now. I want to kind of keep talking about some of these greater, um, you know, 30,000 foot view issues and not the, not the granular details. And I'm glad we did circle back. I'm glad Tyler kind of spoke out and got some very specific granular details in there. Uh, and that was important to do. I'm glad we did that. So, uh, that's the only caveat I really have to say. I guess the only mitigation to the caveat that I can offer is I hope and think that this will be an ongoing thing. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to Tyler and I really, um, he's definitely the kind of person I would like to be talking about talking with on a more regular basis on this show. Havoc does so much work in the mental health space. Uh, I think it'd be great to have him on to constantly bounce ideas off of and, and have that conversation in front of you guys. Cause I think you guys are going to really enjoy the hell out of this one. Okay. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Tyler Heisey's profile in havoc. All right, Tyler, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, brother. Dude, I'm so glad to have you on. Um, this is the first time we have had a proper mental health professional on the show. And I want to start. I, okay. No, go ahead. I know you got a caveat that you want to throw out here. In training. In training. In training. Let me let me rephrase that then. Mental health focused veteran. Somebody that's exclusively focused on actual mental health as opposed to the infrastructure or an organization dedicated to solving a societal problem or something like that, but somebody that's actually trying to be in the trenches to actually address individuals, mental health situations. It's not a very easy way to say that, but anyway, um, but, but it means a lot to have you on. And I, let me preface this by saying one of the many reasons I want to have you on first off, um, I'm such a fan of your Instagram. Um, and as I, we were talking before the show, I don't have nowadays my bandwidth gets sucked up with more and more stuff for vet rep. I don't have time to branch out and talk to people that aren't vet rep related as much as I would like. And I always find myself stopping the scroll to check out your Instagram and see what you're talking about and hear the nuggets that you're kind of putting out all the time. So props on a really strong social game, but also really good fucking um, dollops of sanity 
in an otherwise chaotic scroll. I really appreciate seeing that stuff. So that's one reason that I wanted to have you on. But the other reason is, um, is kind of a more systemic one, I guess, because I'm one of the things I've talked about on the show in the past is obviously with the proliferation of organizations that are out to help veteran PTSD, suicide awareness, all this stuff. And I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's a growth industry. And I'm not saying that with any, like anybody sitting there twirling their mustache and with evil plans of like, oh, we're going to have 800 organizations, but it's a lot of fucking groups doing that right now and justifiably so. But the number of people that are actually doing the hand-to-hand combat of dealing with the demons on an individual basis are, I think, limited. And that's probably good. It's not something that amateurs should necessarily be you know, addressing. But that said, uh, I, I feel like I, that is something that needs to be weighted a lot more in my mind. It was something I really was looking forward to getting in the weeds a little on because I, it's something that I think is close to every veteran's heart. So um, anyway, those are the two big reasons I want to have you on. That's a long way of saying welcome to the show. And I'm just on here because I love looking at your face, brother. <laughs> um, all right, let's start. Um, let me try to be somewhat chronological with this and get your origin story right. Were you always a helper? Were you always somebody that loved helping people? Or were you a fighter? Were you somebody that was look itching for the fight and had to walk a warrior path first? As it relates to origin, I will say that I grew up as a single child with my mother who was very dependent on alcohol. So that was helper right off the bat. I joined the Marines because I wanted to fight. And coming out of the service, that's when I transitioned back to that hat again. Did you find that you shut off that part of yourself while you were in the Marines? Or was that always going to be a part of your DNA to help, to look for opportunities to be of value to others around you? When I was in the Marine Corps, I definitely turned that off because that's not a part of the system. Part of the system is to go fight the war, mission accomplishment, take care of your brothers to accomplish said mission. Originally, so to grow up in a house where alcohol is playing that big a factor, do you think the rest of your life was about overcoming the childhood trauma of of that situation? Or was it um, more about broadening your experience so that you had more tools on hand and that you were like, hey, I've seen that, but I've also seen other kinds of trauma and other kinds of situations and your life wasn't solely about that? Or do you feel like now it's pretty much always about what I grew up with? I believe what I grew up with was a piece to joining the service. And then through the machine that the military is, it afforded me the opportunity to suppress those youthful experiences and then build upon them with other experiences. Um, The youth and the experiences accompanied with that caught up after the service with everything else. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Do you think that your time in the military was repressive detrimentally, or do you think it was necessary repression and discipline of your emotions and your headspace? As an individual, 
it was not intended, but for the sake of the job, that's part of the job. Because you're there to operate as a unit, not as an individual. I'm just going to ask this based off of what I'm feeling, and I could be way off on this. Do you regret your time in? No. Why? Because regret, I feel, is necessary where there's things that took place in the service that I regret. The collective experience, I absolutely love, without a doubt. There's things that that have happened when I was in the service that I do regret, but I've taken that opportunity to self-evaluate, reflect, and grow from those experiences. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And it makes me wonder, um, well, let me, let me declare my bona fides or my, not my bona fides, my, my priors on this. I believe that a lot of hard times and mistakes are a valuable part of your life and the things that, that shouldn't necessarily be regretted because obviously they, they happen to an individual for a reason and you grow from them and, and, and develop from them. And it doesn't mean you can't be pissed off or, or sad that something happened, but that you also understand that that's part of your experience and part of the, that special stew that makes you, you. And that sounds really cheesy now that I said that out loud, but is that how you feel about it? Or are there things that you look back, black back on and i don't i know you're not a guy that looks back too often or with with too much weight but i but i wonder is it something that you look back and go uh i could have and should have done things differently and i wish i had or are you like no that was a necessary wicket for me to go through because that's how i got smarter it's how i got wiser i played the what if game for a long time and I was really really good at that mm. and I understand that yes there's experiences that happened that I regret that they happened the flip side to that coin Harvey Dent is those experiences have afforded me the opportunity to be where I am today and I've learned to practice acceptance and commitment to growth due to those circumstances is that true for everybody? No. You think some people there's there's there should be an enduring weight of the mistakes that they've made no matter what? No. No. I believe that a lot of people struggle to get to that point to mm. be able to realign their azimuth into a healthier direction. I feel a lot of people begin the game of what if and close the book online don't you have is it wrong to start with what if games is the I mistake just to stay there or is the mistake to even start them in the first place no i think it's a completely natural response for us to play the what if game from trauma to a speeding ticket hmm. mm -hmm. but it's what but it's what we do after we acknowledge those thoughts so let's dive into how you got from point A to point B. So growing up in the house you grew up in, where were you? Where'd you grow up? What part of the I grew up and am in the Chicago suburbs. Okay. Um besides the home life, how was school? How was life? How did you like 
I mean, clearly you came came back there, so you must not hate it up there. No. <laughs> For school and home life, I I was a the unmotivated buck. I love school. I had a best friend. I was set on joining the Marine Corps. I want to give a shout out to John Wayne, Sansi Wajima for that one. Um, love school. Had an awesome best friend, had a girlfriend last year of high school, graduated a year early from high school to join the Corps. Jesus. Wow. So I was, I was set. Did anybody, what was the reaction by friends, family members, and all that to you wanting to join the Marines? Did they think it was a waste of your life? Did they think it was a natural evolution of who you were? How do people feel about that? My what friends, they tell you? My friends were fond of the idea. My family, my family viewed it as a black sheep. My uncle, my uncle and his wife, they both did 20 years in the Air Force. And the family, since he was the primary exposure to military, thought Air Force would be the wiser choice for me. Mm. And because and, you were smart too, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, I remember explaining to my mother that the Marine Corps, that was it since like six years old. And aunts, uncles, cousins, they didn't understand it, but they loved and supported me. You said that John Wayne and Sanzio Juma got you all motivated. What was it about it? Was it the... Well, I'll just leave it as an open-ended question. What was it about uh, specifically about it, especially now with the benefit of hindsight that got you really turned on? The mentality of the Marines, and yes, that's Hollywood. I recognize that even from the 50s. The mentality, the uniforms, the fighting. I always had that inspiration to go fight and sneaking down into my grandparents' basement when my aunts, uncles, mom, grandparents are all watching San Iwo Jima, Saving Private Ryan. I'm like, that's awesome. I want to do that, and I want to do it with the best. And then the commercials with like the climbing the mountain, the dragon, all yep. that stuff. Yep. All of that contributed to the motivation to join. Do you think young men especially – Everyone needs this, but do you think, especially with young men, that they need a noble fight to dedicate themselves to it, whatever that is, and that that can sometimes be the genesis for so many people joining the military? Yeah, I think I believe wholeheartedly that men, young men, boys, have to begin a quest and break free from their mothers in order to become a man. And I think that also applies to the other genders as well. But specifically for you and I, I think that is our yearning to grow up, to go on an adventure, to break free from our mother, to experience things that, in our case, may be frowned upon through the eyes of society. Do you think young women need to break free from their mothers as well? Yes, but I think they probably want to break free from their father more and i'm kind of talking out my rear end right now but if i mm -hmm. was to flip it mm -hmm. why do you think uh, and 
I'm just going to ask questions without putting my thumb on the scale as far as what I think. Why do you think young men need to break away from their mothers? What is it about being around your the mother figure in your life that is limiting? Through our culture here in the States, I believe mothers are caregivers and caretakers. And due to where we are, there is a lot of high emotional over-involvement with our kids coming from a mother's perspective and being around other men within our context provides those reasons why we enjoy wrestling or football or fighting in the backyard or playing baseball and doing it on a grander scale at least for myself felt far more fulfilling is that mm-hmm no, that makes sense. I mean, that absolutely makes sense. I think the obvious rejoinder I could hear in my head is, well, what the hell? What if a kid doesn't want to play football? A boy doesn't want to wrestle. You know, what if he's somebody that wants to paint and play piano? Are they, should they stay with their mothers then? Or do they still need to break free from their mothers? What's the answer for somebody of a different personality type, a boy of a different personality type? I think it depends on the family constellation, how the family's made up. I think the developmental factors of every individual contributes to their desire to join the service or not. Um, my best friend from my youth did not join the service. And he works at, I think, like Hartford Insurance now or something. That's what he's done with his life. And I think it depends on the individual And that is something that I am passionate about to further my education on down the road. And I'm sure we'll talk about that soon. Yeah, we will. Um, Let's, let's maybe broaden that up into a bit of a 30,000 foot view of you and your, and and your, what you're comfortable discussing now and, and what is down the road for you. How much of, of, uh, the mental health of, of your fascination with mental health revolves around service members versus civilians. I care about everybody the same. Military is not special compared to civilians. It's just another job, in my opinion. I believe we, the collective of the military, we are part of a unique culture that. A lot of civilians do not have the opportunity to experience the level of camaraderie, the trust, the love, the extreme swings as it relates to the love, the hate, the experiences in multiple occurrences. Um, And of course, I am biased since I am from the military. So I naturally gravitate towards my people and with my experiences post-service, my friends' experiences post-service, I've realized that we are fortunate. We are blessed in a non-religious sense mm-hmm. that we get to experience so much intimacy in the positive or the negative mm-hmm. that we come back to a culture that is a systemic failure and 
we struggle trying to integrate into a unhealthy space. Walk me through that. What do you mean by that? When you say the culture is a systemic failure? The United States stigmatizes mental health. We are very individualistic. We are not a community compared to underdeveloped countries. That's point number one. The mental health and when individuals have a problem, it goes against the normality of day-to-day living in the United States. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if someone, if someone is dealing with major depressive disorder and they cannot function like everybody else, and that can cause ripples in the local community. Well, I don't understand why Chris can't go to his job. He needs to be at his job. I'm his boss. I'm paying him Mm -hmm. this your job comes first. The military were very tight knit. And if a dude catches around, we have to attend to him. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> do you think that's an American thing though? Or does that, cause when we say like, we're, we're more individualistic and <clears throat> have less of a community based um, support system than other developed first world countries. Other underdeveloped. Oh, countries. underdeveloped countries. Okay. I have missed West, okay. Western, yes. Western, Western civilization. Yes. Yes. That is absolutely true for good, for good or for ill though. Right. Because obviously there's upsides and downsides to sure. that, right? It's a trade-off. What, um, this touches on so many different facets. So I guess, let me try to pick one to focus on for right now. When we talk about the stigma of mental health. First off, first thought that comes to my mind is where the fuck was that 30 years ago? Is this something really from GWAT and did the military and the veteran community pioneer so much of this discussion in the last 20 years? Because I don't feel like that is it been, we have more focus. I feel like on mental health now, not necessarily saying it's solving as much as it should, but we have more discussion that I feel like we've ever had before and maybe more than other countries have. Like, I don't hear a lot of discussions from other people. Now I'm in the U S so I get it. I'm going to be a little solipsistic on this, but I, I feel like this is like, we're, we're really spiking on this in this country, but what was going on 30, 30, 40 years ago that we weren't having these conversations? Was it all being suppressed? What was going on with it? What's the evolution of this? Why now? <laughs> Yeah, our, it's holding our, up a phone. Yeah, our, our our phone, our technologies. I mean, if you look at, and these are things that I haven't done any sort of research on either. So this is just my opinion. Sure. If if you look at, let's go with Vietnam mm-hmm. and those veterans, they didn't <clears throat> have technology. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are able to put so much information out there now that I believe it's bringing a lot more of these topics to light that were not a part of the 1950s mentality. Yeah. As I refer to it. So then, because it is a confluence of two major trends, especially with regard to veterans, the proliferation of technology and phones and information 
and the fact that we have an unprecedented amount of deployment op tempo over the last 20 years that was going to, you know, Vietnam, as horrific as that was, and in many ways, much more horrific, but still one deployment, mostly, right? World War II, one deployment, you know, like to have the constant cycle of the, and the high op tempo that we've had over 20 years, um, and then add that to the technology that now suddenly, I mean, it, it, and I'm saying this as, as basically a question, but is that what we're talking about? Is that really the confluence of these two things that's leading to the mental health crisis, especially with regard to the veteran community? I think it has to do with the technology, for sure. I believe the, again, the culture within the nation has changed over the years that has caused certain things to exasperate. If you look at World War II, mm-hmm. the nation was united sure. over that. Vietnam began the shift. And then today we've got people that think Iraq is a part of Afghanistan. Right, right. The deta- it's almost though it's not the controversy about the war, the politics involved necessarily, because certainly Vietnam was divisive as hell, and the vets certainly suffered and did not have the support system that we have coming out of the service now. But definitely the detachment of the civilian population, the civ mill divide, is a hell of a lot greater now, right? Yep. And sometimes we do a good job at keeping that divided yeah. as well. Talk about that. What do you think the number one culprit is when it comes to veterans? keeping the civ mill divide a divide civilians don't understand they don't care military come out of the service with ego and they don't want to share experiences with civilians i think the military is not a priority anymore to a lot of civilians again this is going off of technology we don't see a lot about it and I think we have established a uh, routine within our generation in the sense that we get out, we go to the VA, we attempt to deal with their stuff, or we shove it down and repress it. And I'm going to just leave all of that behind me, not talk about it, mm. and, ju- and just live my little life. These are very big topics that we're no, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I will probably preface this up front by saying expect wave tops. Like we're not, there's no way we could possibly plumb the depths of this. But what is the mistake that veterans make when it comes to their own mental outlook coming out of the service? What is the if there was one thing, if you if there's one thing that you could change and say to vets. You got to dump this trait or this attitude or this perspective or this mindset. What would that be? What is the crippling? What's the number one crippling thing as you see it? A lot of people get out of the service and close the book on life. They do not like to start a new chapter. And the best job I ever had turns into the letterman jacket yeah. that, they always, that they always wear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why back asthma solutions, right? I mean, hence the name. In a way, yes. Talk about that. 
Um, and obviously we're, we're junking up the whole chronological order, but I'll go back and fix that shortly. Uh, let's just talk about back asthma solution. Talk about why that name then became representative of what you wanted to do. Okay. Um, back asthma solutions is the Instagram page that I made as well as the coaching business that I have. And the origin of the name, there's been times in my life where I have hit some type of an obstacle, be it transitioning out of the service, be it getting fired, be it mental health issues, a divorce, all various topics, different obstacles. And there was times when I would hit these proverbial obstacles and would fall apart and not know what to do. The conceptualization conceptualization of BAS is to be able to identify these obstacles that we all face and recognize that sometimes we have to essentially shoot a back azimuth and work our way around the obstacle so we can achieve our individual objectives in life. Um, BAS is not mental health per se. Because there's a lot of topics that I choose not to talk about because it would be unethical since I don't have the education to substantiate those things publicly or with clients. Mm-hmm. Um, BAS is for expansion and growth. And what I mean by that is if we look at a human being and picture a pillar on the left, a pillar in the middle, and a pillar on the right. Traumas on the left, our baselines in the middle, expansions on the right. And I can touch the baseline to expansion. Post-education, I can touch the trauma. That way I can address the entirety of the person. So what I mean by that, expansion, growth, things like that. Mm -hmm. Working on communication skills with friends, partners, building better boundaries, learning the importance of time management. And Mm -hmm. like for me, I use a day planner to stay efficient, foundational habits and what they are and how to create them to live a healthy lifestyle, to be able to recognize when you hit the emotional roller coaster that you have these foundational habits to minimize the descent of said roller coaster. Gratitude, mindfulness, things like that. Fucking huge. Fucking huge, man. Gratitude. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Like, uh, and uh, when I say talk about it, like, not just to substantiate that uh, clearly I'm a fan, but I mean, for you, how has gratitude played a role in your life? How have you seen that benefit you? This episode should be called AC 130 because we're at 30,000 foot level. Yeah, yeah. whole talk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the fact that I am still able to be here to be a father, to be a resource for the community, to be able to look behind me in the imaginary sense of all of the things that I've gone through all of the times I've tried to quit and I'm still here Mm. and I'm able to 
be grateful for all of that because that's made me who I am today. No, I'm not perfect by any means. Yes, I still struggle with some things, but I'm grateful for where I'm at today and everything that I've gone through. Are you grateful for the bad times in your life? If I want to have a mentality that is forward moving, yes. Do you find in your coaching that that's a frequent obstacle for people to embrace the good they get? Or is that something that isn't always advisable to coach people through? When those topics come up, I try to, oh, captain, my captain, dead poet society. I try to allow individuals to shift their perspective. Those sometimes can turn into topics that can move into that left pillar that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. I have to be cognizant of that. Let's talk about why that is. So what is your educational status and what is what are your bona fides right now? Just so people get a clarity on, on where you're coming from and what's, you know, your peer reviewed uh, bona fides and what is uh, purely opinion. Okay. Um, so I have a undergrad in business. I'm in my master's for therapy. Um, I've gone through a coaching program. I've had my own coach. So a lot of the things I talk about presently are things that I've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. Because coaching, the coaching space can be very toxic. There is no accounting board that mental health professionals have and anybody can be a coach and you can view coaching as the commodification of a friendship of a mentor. And it is a murky swamp to navigate through. I bet. And the thing that I, the buoy that I remind myself of is I stay in my lane I don't talk about things that I have no experience in or qualified to talk about. And this is a service to others, first and foremost. This is not my primary means of income. Oh, yep. Do you want it to be? Is that the goal? What I would like to do is eventually integrate my master's program into BAS to have the entire human while I pursue my next degree. What's your next degree? I want to become a doctor in clinical psychology and then pursue a doctorate in anthropology. Why? What's the end goal with that? Our community, besides the mental health piece, There's a lot that goes into who you and I are, and Mm -hmm. I want to, a lot of us grow up in different ways in the service. A lot of us get out of the service still immature in different ways. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different issues that all of us deal with as humans, as veterans, as Americans, 
And I want to be able to learn about our mind and our behaviors and find a way to develop a transitional process that is advantageous for the service member. If that means going to the bases, if that means developing my version of Camp Crystal Lake, Friday 13th, Mm -hmm. that has a space that goes over a variety of topics for our community. If that's a part of the transition process, if that is simply a free service for the community where I can have 50 people show up and I can have myself and five other camp counselors talk about multiple topics. I just, the intent is our headspace and timing, not just mental health is not always as on point as it needs to be. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that we miss while we're in and during the transition. I'm just going to pry into that. What do you mean by that? When you say it's stuff we miss, like you mean things that aren't part of the boxes that you check when you're transitioning, or do you mean things that individually we forget about? We forget about looking in the mirror. Mm. We feel that getting in a firefight or wearing a certain uniform or adorning a certain beret is our sense of purpose in life. Sure. And I understand that because my goal was to be a Marine Corps Sergeant Squad Leader. And after that, hit 20 or die trying, getting out of the service, what's the point? What is the point now? Yeah. I became, when I I hit my lifelong dream and I couldn't go for 20, so what am I going to do now? Live the 50s mentality and go be a foreman in a factory, which I did. When in fact, that billet, that rank, that 20 years is not the sense of purpose. The sense of purpose is what do you love? What are you good at? How can you make a living? Do you have a community and how can you serve? That's how I conceptualize the SOP. Do you feel like if that's how we, how you conceptualize the SOP, who's hitting the mark? Do you feel like we're missing it? Do you feel like all this emphasis on mental health in the veteran community is while well-intentioned off mark, or do you feel like a lot of it is starting to inculcate that sense of community self-knowledge identifying what you love and establishing that sense of purpose. I think we're definitely making forward momentum. I believe it's of course, more than just mental health. People get out after four years and they want to figure out what's next and they want to feel as alive as they did when they were running ranges or whatever. And the amount of, Self-accountability we have now can be horrific for a kid or a 20-year E8 and trying to find a way to walk with your head held high like it used to can be a pretty daunting thought because a lot of people are working in offices or 
being a cop since that's an easy transition. And it takes, and like I said, looking in the mirror to be able to really figure out what she, what's next. How are you going to start the new chapter? And that doubles down with the ego, with the camaraderie, not wanting to reach out to homies or not mm-hmm. wanting to sound weak, mm-hmm. things like that. So we are very much a, uh, we are very much a pressure cooker, not in the sense of an IED, in the sense of like a meal, like the ingredients we put into it. When you made it through boot camp, did you feel like you were on purpose still? Did you feel like you were now this, you, you the, the uniform was you and you were in your right place doing what you need to do, your sense of purpose and your identity and all that was aligning? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was locked on. Yeah. When did that change? When did that not feel that way anymore? Or did it ever not, not feel that way? I think it started to shift. I want to say halfway through because I went to, I went to the Pacific twice and then I went to Afghanistan and the second time that I got to go out west, that's when it felt like, okay, this is kind of not what I signed up for. Because I had, yeah. I had this, I had the service, the uniform. I hit meritorious corporal. I beat out the math. I was on top of the world, but I wanted to go fight. I don't want to mm-hmm. float around on a ship mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Do all that nonsense. Okay. And then, and then after reenlisting and PCS into a different unit, then I had the opportunity to go fight. And those experiences I had were different than what I expected because my only comparison was either my senior sharing stories or Hollywood. Um, and then by the time I got back from that one, I was dealing with some problems. So then things started to shift naturally. You mean naturally because now your mindset was changed. And so life is just going to throw those complications up because. Because the purpose was gone at that point because I was dealing with stuff. Gotcha. How many combat deployments did you do? Just one. And I'm assuming Helmand. Yeah. Were you an infantryman? Um, Yeah, I was a infantry team leader and squad leader when I was in Afghanistan. So for that first contract, you went four years without seeing anything. And so there was that sense of combat blue balls. Like you were there, you were trained for it and you just never got in the fight. Is that basically what had happened? It was, it was a goal of mine that I had when I was in the first contract, but I was proud of that time because I naturally being a Marine mm-hmm. or when I was a Marine, uh, I was very passionate about the core, our history. And I got to go to Okinawa and things like sure. that. So sure. that was really cool to be a part of that. But it was but, just it coming back and doing it again. It was like, all right, Hey, I already, I already did yeah. this. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so you re did you reenlist 
did I hear that right? You kind of re-enlisted for combat, right? You were like, hey, I, I didn't scratch this itch yet, so I need to come back. Yeah, I talked to the uh, career planner and I asked him, I was like, what uh, what units planning on deploying anytime soon? That was my goal. What year did you go in? What year did you enlist? I enlisted in 07, went in in 08, got out January of 15. Okay. So you went in right when the anti-Iraq movement was probably at its peak, right? How was your uh how is your basic training class? Were you guys full? Did you have were the was it like maxed yeah. out with recruits still? <laughs> yeah. My uh my seniors in my first unit, after they actually socialized with us down the road, they were like, You guys were a massive boot drop. Wow. Wow. Shit. So Okay. Yeah, we we were initially scheduled for Iraq when we checked in. And then it switched over to the 31st meal. That's crazy. So that first contract was what, four years? Yeah. And I left because it was eight to 12. And I think I left at the beginning of 12 to the new unit. That's fucking wild. That's a, that's wild to uh, the odds of somebody going Marine infantryman from 08 to 12 and did not deploy to a combat zone. That's that that's incredible. You really, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, that's would seem, yeah, I wouldn't have taken those odds. Uh, when did your fun card get punched? Was it while you were in Helmand or was it really when you came back and it suddenly you were like, oh, there's an aftertaste here that doesn't leave you. And I so, saw, yeah, this is not as much fun as I thought it would be. Or was it while you were still in country? Probably when I was still in country. Did it scare you to feel a loss of purpose, a change of purpose, or a loss of mo- of enthusiasm, motivation. I think I initially just felt done. Mm. If that if that makes sense, it, it sure makes sense. Did you ever recover that in any way, shape, or form? Was there ever kind of a rejuvenation where you're like, okay, I'm getting my taste for it back a little bit, or was that really it, and that never recovered? Like two, three years ago. Huh. <laughs> Why? Talk about that. Why? Why two, three years ago? So I just to backpedal a little bit. I got married in my first unit. I was that dumb kid that got married. And uh, we got married, started having kids, kid per rotation. And uh, now by the time we got back, from my third trip, I ended up going to Wounded Warrior Battalion. I was dealing with a lot of stuff. Ended up getting medically retired. Played the 50s mentality card. Hit mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. Dante's Inferno rock bottom and then divorce. And it's taken the Etch-A-Sketch since then to realign my azimuth, per se. So then... Two, three years ago, what happened? Did you think about re-enlisting? No. Uh, or just I mean, you thought of it better? The fun, just the fun card came back. Uh, in I life? Just, just in life in general. Yeah. 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 Okay. Got you. Got you. <clears throat> Div- I mean, obviously, divorcing with kids is no fucking picnic. And I, um, 
I'm I'm torn about how much to even ask. And I my sense is to just not ask a lot, although I know there's a lot of value in it probably for people listening. Um to hear how all of somebody that, has successfully navigated. But yeah, sorry, go all, ahead. All of that. Like I told you, time and service, there's benefit to knowing the career path, the nuances that took place within it. Mm-hmm. I don't put a lot of weight towards anymore because everybody's got those stories. What really matters now is where we are at today and how we're moving forward. And if that means talking about some of the pain points that I've had, I willingly will do that for anyone because there's a lot of topics that people are uncomfortable talking about. And like I say, within BAS, we're all on this patrol called life together. I'm not here to share freaking war stories that's you can get that at the local vfw right i will tell i will tell you about divorce substance abuse suicidal attempts and ideation and how i came out of all of that because that's the shit that matters yeah no it absolutely is um and i guess um yeah for me um guess the only way i can put it is there's there's reasons i i read your stuff on social every day um or every time you put it out mm-hmm. um yeah these are these are um so i'm trying to assess my own stamina to get into yeah. a discussion of that which i probably should have fucking done before we talked of course it's, <laughs> it's on me but um yeah no i mean that that shit is um it's, that shit, it's that, that's hard it's stuff a, it's extremely it can be considered heavy but as it relates to our community, our culture, more specifically towards the interwebs and social medias, mm-hmm. there is a lot of, and this is not a foot on anybody's neck, this next statement. There is a lot of content out there with culture specific clicks i think i can say that where Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like specific mos groups like there's Mm -hmm. a big machine Mm -hmm. gun page there's Mm -hmm. a few individuals that share a lot of leadership notes there Mm -hmm. is a lot of the younger generation with the stupid music and cool editing there's a lot of things that are out there and it's all incredible and valuable because they all are supporting the lanes that they're in Mm -hmm. as it relates to going against the system if that's how i would describe it being vulnerable authentic talking about things that usually don't apply when it's weapon gear body because i at times especially when i started BAS. It felt like I was paddling upstream in a bullet riddled canoe, trying mm-hmm. to avoid all these other boulders along the path. The photos, the leadership lessons. Oh, gotcha. Yep. All those other things where 
this is topics that apply to individuals in uniform, in country, and mm-hmm. veteran. And a lot of these things can be very difficult to broach for individuals with ego and finding the right way to bring these things up, such as the comics that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Brings, do you do those? Do you do those yourself? No, I wish. If, if, if I could draw, I would not be doing any of this. <laughs> um, no, I go through an artist. Fucking I, great. I, I tag him at the end of every post because he's incredible. I'm just blown right past that. Okay. Yeah. That's freaking great. Yeah. The, there's the, the time and effort spent in crafting those is, is impressive. And I know you spent that, that has to be a lot of bandwidth to put that together on your part before you ship that off. Um, I thought those were really clever. How's the feedback been with those? A lot of people really love the comics and it's great. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll share this. I will make this public announcement as it relates to the comics. Um, there's the guy, Sergeant Blaze. Mm-hmm. One, th- one thing that I say in a lot of my posts is Blaze Forward. Always pushing forward. Right. And for the right reasons. Obviously, people can read between the lines and take it the wrong way if they choose to. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Blaze and now the female, Captain Forward, who's a pilot. And then there will be a army dog during the invasion of Sicily. These three characters are an opportunity to talk about different points. They are cool to look at because it's a comic. It's just the art is cool. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, I yeah. love it since I'm hiring someone to do it. And the overall intention behind it you remember those green log books from the military? Yeah. My thought process, what I want to do once this is done, I want to conceptualize a actual comic book that I want to put inside those green log books. That way, if uh. Chris goes to the field and he's only a E4, he can have the pocket size log book that's a comic that actually is mental health and coaching. But you have to read the words within it instead of just looking at the pictures to pick up on that. And that's a lot better than, hey, I'm reading a book on mental health because I'm broken or broken or weak or something like, hey, man, I'm reading this awesome World War II comic. So it's a way way to tunnel rat underneath the stigma. Do you find that that's really um, been the biggest drawback to veterans getting the help they need even if it's just in your experience with people that have come to you for coaching is it the stigma are you fighting that all the time is that the number one enemy i don't want to be considered weak or broken or a malingerer um i don't want to get in trouble i don't want to be ostracized from my friends i don't rate to feel messed up because I wasn't kicking doors in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't deserve to deal with post-traumatic stress, major depressive mm. disorder, anxiety, night terrors, 
because I never deployed. I worked at a motor pool for eight years and it's, there's so much to it. And that's a big contributing factor to my why as it relates to my crusade on academia. That is, so the thought that comes to me when you say that, because obviously this is something we've talked about on this show a decent amount, and a lot of different people have chimed in on it. How much do you think the problem is to understanding or misunderstanding manhood? Because I feel like that's a recurring theme, and I can't speak for the female experience. I've never been a woman, so I don't know what that headspace is like as much. But for guys, whether you've done, you, whether you followed the career path that you wanted to follow, and it either didn't work out as you had thought, or it worked out the way exactly like you'd wanted, but there's been second and third order effects that you could not have calculated, or whether there's unrequited actions that you didn't get to do the stuff you wanted to do, or you didn't get this opportunity or that opportunity. I feel like so much of that comes back to a challenge as a challenge to your manhood that I should be able to deal with this because I'm X, Y, and Z or fuck. I never was X, Y, and Z and I don't feel complete as a man. Am I overthinking that or is there something there? The first one I think is a generational thing that's been implemented about why can't I overcome this? Things like that. The missing of opportunities, the second one you said. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's human, first and foremost. I think that doesn't associate with any gender. I think um, I, my ex-wife did not allow me to and I know that sounds funny, but that was me at a younger version. My ex-wife did not allow me to sign up for 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines to go on their deployment within my first unit. as I think it was like a combat replacement or something. She didn't want me to do that. I missed that opportunity. I think it takes um, personal accountability, some maturity to recognize that and move through, move through those things. because. I think sometimes we put too much weight on our military service because I feel that you probably missed an opportunity, Chris, last week on something. Right. As did I. The difference, of course, being that probably the life and death stakes or the potential for life and death stakes won't be there as much as it was in the military. Could be, but often won't be. And so there's that, so there's that, that, I don't know if it's a Hollywood glorification that we've kind of got in our minds where we're like, because it's those stakes and because it was Afghanistan and because it was this unit or I was this person, I have a different expectation of how that should have played out. It's expectations versus reality, right? I thought that if you put me in Black Hawk down, I would turn into this guy. And instead I was this guy that wasn't even in the movie, you know, or something, yeah. right? And, the, and I, I, as opposed to opportunities we miss on a daily or weekly or monthly level as civilians, um, you know, certainly regrets don't go away, but they, they're not necessarily, uh, um, you know, they nobody. Yeah. It, it, there's, there's no movies being made about, boy, you miscast a play. Oh, you son of a bitch. You know, like it, it's like, 
you, you know, it's not stuff that you're you know, stuff you might mutter to yourself in the mirror, but it's not going to dog you the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. 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 I I get it. I think. Well, I think anything can dog you for the rest of your life. I sure. think as it as it relates to the military stuff. <laughs> Sometimes people don't like to hear the hard truth. I mean, it was an all volunteer force. It still is to this day. And we don't get to make those decisions. We can jump. We can do 20 years and jump from unit to unit to unit and still never deploy because we missed the time frame. And that is a very hard thing for people to go to bed with. And on the flip side of that coin, I've talked to guys that were in crazy experiences in Afghanistan, but they didn't get to go to Fallujah during the push. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, we are our own it, worst enemies. It, it's never enough. I know it's the fucking, it's the fucking small mind, that monkey mind. You're, you're never fucking good enough. Um, Let's back up on on a kind of a philosophical note. Do you read philosophy, other cultures stuff? Have you gotten into Eastern philosophy? Have you gotten into yogic mindsets or Zen or anything like that? Are there other pillars that you kind of have made part of your routine? What is your mental framework? What's what's what are the things you keep coming back to as guideposts? Um, I am passionate about. Buddhism, hmm. yoga, the Native Americans, things like that. Currently, the closest thing to fun reading I can do right now is a book for school, and it's called Crazy Like Us. It's the globalization of the American psyche. And this book talks about, I just hmm. did a chapter about Zanzibar and the chapter about Zanzibar was talking about schizophrenia and how a individual that is dealing with schizophrenia within the context of this story was not ostracized. The mother did not have a high emotional over-involvement, which can exasperate our symptoms where Chris, are you doing okay? I know you got PTSD. How you feeling today? That can cause a lot of shit to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, this week's chapter is the mega marketing of depression in Japan. Mm. But currently, I'm reading Ethics, Law, the DSM, which is the book with mm. all the diagnoses yeah. in it. Um, clinical psychopharmacology. Oh. So... Yeah. A lot of my free time gotcha. is disassociating from words if I can help it. Yeah, I got you. I got you. That makes total sense. <laughs> so I'm, I want to throw something out to you because I felt like you were the perfect guest to run to throw this this subject out to because nobody fucking wanted to come on and talk to me about it on the show. Um, but I feel like it's something that isn't covered a lot when we talk about veterans um, or active service members uh, and and then how this ends up affecting them when they become veterans porn. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to it as a coping mechanism, um, whether it's coping with 
anything a combat deployment or whether it's coping with the boredom of of being in the rear or, or back in the states or then the second and third order effects of its lifespan in a veteran's life that it's like well this is what i did in afghanistan and i kind of never stopped and now it's 15 years later mm-hmm. and all this from your education and from your experience pros and cons uh, upsides and downsides. What's your take on the effect of porn and how veterans and service members need to be processing their exposures to it? I think porn, pornography is a tricky subject. Um, I feel it can align with alcohol, marijuana, movies, mm-hmm. vid- video games. Um, I don't think alcohol, marijuana, movies, video games, or pornography are bad for you. I think anything can be bad for you in excess. And what I mean by that, because it's a tricky subject, and I just named a few different things. Sure. The the arts, movies, video games. There's nothing wrong with that. People enjoy those things. Those things can be coping mechanisms. If you binge watch Game of Thrones, Come on. Right. Pornography, I think it can disrupt a relationship with your partner. I think it can set unrealistic expectations of whichever sex. Um, I think it can cause issues. And with intimacy, I believe it sets unrealistic expectations of us. I think at the same time, I look at porn every now and then. I don't frequent that because it doesn't really do a lot for me. I think if you participate in that every now and then, I think that could be okay. I think if it, if you need, as a man, if you need pornography to get an erection or to orgasm, I believe that requires a pornographic detox which i think detoxing from anything as much as i want to detox from school right now (laughs) um i think detoxing from it for a few months can be very beneficial i think if you have a partner and you are utilizing pornography more so than the relationship with your partner i think that's worth a conversation so i believe it's a very Tricky slope that requires mm-hmm. a lot of accountability and self-respect and respect to others. So when it's oh sorry, good. Yeah. And it's a rampant industry that can make anybody's dreams come true. I mean, it's funny to me in this conversation, we've talked about we've talked a lot actually about fantasies, right? About expectations versus reality. What we expect, whether it's a war experience, military service experience, sexual experience, like it's all a a degree of fantasy Mm -hmm. that has to run into the harsh reality and and somehow get reconciled. And we see how that's stocking stacking up. Obviously, I don't think anybody in any society is inoculated from that, but in the veteran community. 
as a service member when you're in austere environments, whether or not they're dangerous, but just the, let's leave that danger part out of it for the time being, but just austere environments where there has to be a degree of repression because you don't have access to X, Y, and Z, whatever that is. A fantasy life, I feel like, is going to have higher, that's going to be more normal than in a life where you have access to things. So for service me- and then if, for service members, obviously there's a calculation in an all volunteer force of going, well, if I'm going to be in an austere environment, it is to achieve X, Y, and Z experiences. And that is a fantasy unto itself because maybe that plays out the way you want, or maybe it doesn't. But it seems to me like a lot of, uh, of that is a lot of our path entering the service is based on fantasy. And that's not wrong. You have to go in with an ideal and with a set of expectations. That's normal and, and understandable. But it's then coping with the lack, with the degree of fulfillment of those expectations that then can become the issue. I'm working my way towards a question, but I, I and I'm trying to think about exactly what it is. But my sense is does that make us in the veteran community more prone to excess? more prone to depression, more prone to the psychological second and third order effects of not having had expectations met and fantasies fulfilled than the rest of society. I think it makes us healthier than the rest of society because the rest of society has access everything all the time. I think as it relates to us and not being able to pop that proverbial cherry overseas or mm-hmm. using Marlboro Reds, Copenhagen and Pornhub in excess to feel that dopamine that then carries back home for X amount of years. Um, the term bereavement is used towards the loss of a loved one mm-hmm. in a workplace. I feel that we the collective go through a bereavement process on missed experiences and without cognitive and behavioral shifts to make deliberate actions to grow due to whatever that situation may be is then that turns into us dealing with a variety of different issues. Does that make sense? And it's loosely aligned up what you're saying. No, it's absolutely aligned up with what I'm saying. What is it that is so acute, though, about our bereavement issues versus other people's? I could I could posit an answer, but I, I'm more interested in what you think. Maybe just an overindulgence in the experiences, the camera, everything. All of everything we go through is force fed from the love of one another to the atrocities and grieving all of that. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I feel like I want to, I want to make a statement that I'll put out so you can comment, agree, disagree um, as you see fit. But I feel like it's worth saying because I feel like when we talk about this stuff and this is obviously we're having a very, interior veteran discussion like as something that relates to 
our community internally. <clears throat> but I feel like to someone outside the community listening, they could easily go, man, glad I dodged those landmines. Yep. Not fucking worth it. Look at all this bullshit they're dealing with. And I feel like for myself, and this is the statement I'm going to make that you can agree, disagree, or change as, as you see fit. For myself, I feel like it's important to always reaffirm that it's worth it, that there's something innate, that there's a high sense of purpose going into a life of the military. And however scuffed up you get to embrace it and go, dude, that's part of the fucking journey. There's no nobility in dodging every every trouble that comes at you. It doesn't mean you willingly or suicidally run towards trouble, but it does mean that you also embrace the learning, the experiential wisdom of it, and you go, this is the fight. This is actually living. Living is dealing with the struggle of human issues. And there has to be some degree of embrace and dare I say gratitude for that in order to fully to, to live, to overcome, and to be fully realized as a person. And that that's the privilege of serving in the military and something that I feel is sometimes denied to the civilian population because you're not put in, you might, you will have significant emotional events in your life, but probably not as many and as not as packed together in one relatively short time span as early in life. And I feel like that's something that is worth appreciating about our experience and going, hey, these conversations that we get to have about mental health and fantasy and expectations that are lived up to or not is a worthwhile, good um, fight and not something to be moped about. Yeah, no, there's no missing. There's no missing a bullet within the entirety of it, because a lot of these conversations like the one you and I are having right now, I would ignorantly say that a civilian and I hate that term doesn't have the capacity to have these conversations because we truly have the opportunity in austere or main side. We have the entire spectrum of humanity that we experience. Mm -hmm. And I feel a lot, I feel a lot of non-military members don't have that opportunity. And yes, of course there's baggage that comes with it. There's baggage that comes with working as the CEO of Google for 20 years. Right, right. But we have, we are accessing parts of ourselves that most people don't anymore from that extreme amount of unconditional love and trust to moral injury. And let me push the boat further into the pond. You need young men, young women too, to some degree, to take those risks and to do that work. It's not something to be feared and something to be avoided at all costs. It's something to go, I'm willing to put, I'm willing to look at a higher cause and do what it takes to try to achieve that higher cause. And if I fall short, as Teddy Roosevelt said, at least you fail while, while daring greatly. So that your place shall never be with cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. I feel like there's there's a nobility of that, and there should be a glorification of that. And I I say that in thinking about all the movies, and we've talked about Hollywood and its oversized impact, but that serves a purpose, doesn't it? It gives you that 
yes, sometimes unrealistic ideal, but it, it, it instills in you a sense of what should be a noble cause so that you do have the courage, the stamina, the vision to pursue it and then deal with the fallout as needed. I can't substantiate that. You hit the nail. Well, I appreciate that. I, I mean, yeah, I, I want to loop that back into what you said before about the need for young men to find the, the strength or the opportunity to break away from their mothers in order to fully be realized. And I'm, I'm saying with young men for right now, I know we talked about, you know, all children may need to separate from a parent in one way, way shape or form or another. Is this something, um, is there a healthy way to do that? And is there an unhealthy way for that to be done? And what's the inflection point? What's the difference in that? What do we do as veterans who now have gone through it to make sure that as we raise children, we don't turn them off from taking the noble risks because they look at us and go, well, fuck, look what happened to you. I don't fucking want that. And instead make them go, shit, yeah, I want to be just like my dad, my mom, mm-hmm. and do and and follow those same paths to have my own experiences. What do we do to ensure that pe- that our kids are willing to to have their own adventures and and live up to that legacy? We continue to grow and mature and reflect on our experiences. We, as fathers, in that context, go against the misunderstood term of toxic masculinity as it relates Mm -hmm. to suppressing emotions and vulnerability where if you are mentoring a child to break the generational issues that we're all aware of as men have repressed so much we share those stories with Mm. our kids like yeah i absolutely loved the fact that i wrote a half of a book in afghanistan on one of those duty books and played games and managed to get some alcohol overseas yeah i saw a lot of kids get hurt and that really sucked and it hurt And yeah, the war ended and it didn't end the way I would have liked to see it end. But I was a doctor that kept the cancer in remission. But I made some really great friends, got to see some really cool stuff. Yeah, there's some shit that happened that I'm not happy about, but I've learned to accept it because it's made me who I am today. And I'm grateful for that. And even though you're 11 years old and you want to be a Marine like dad, your battlefield might be different, but I'm here to support you. If you want to know something, I'll tell you. And the uh, experiences that we have and breaking away from our mother and experiencing the hero's journey. If you've ever heard of that, Mm -hmm. Chris, sure. Yeah. Um, it's why those epic 
Hollywood sagas fuse into our bones so greatly from Frodo to Skywalker to Harry Potter because it's a way for our kids to get a digestible and appropriate version of our chrysalis process. How have you been received in academia? Because clearly, I mean, I'm assuming not a lot of people in your class are coming into it with your, with similar experiences to you. So how do you find it? Are you well-received? Do you find it easy to ingest what you're hearing or do you go, bro, that's, that's not how that plays out. There's a lot of things that I hear in my graduate program that I do not agree with from my 10 other peers. Be that as it may, <laughs> I'm in school to become a therapist for this track right now. My opinion and bias does not matter. As a therapist, I am here to hear what you have to say and not instill my bias or values mm-hmm. and help you work through what you have to go through. So when individuals express their points about borders for example we just had that conversation in school the united states should not have borders it's unjust okay there is the great wall of china so there's other cultures that have borders well yes i know that but i don't think we should have borders okay if that's the mentality you want to have we need to instill this a hundred percent but what does that mean then I'm allowed to come into your house whenever I want because there's no borders. Walls are borders. Well, no, that's not fair. Okay, that's not fair. Then if we don't want to have borders, then how about we give the your property back to the indigenous people of this country? Well, no. And I'm sharing other perspectives for you and I'm reinforcing with you, this is why our opinions don't matter because we're here to serve our clients. Yeah, how does that come up in the course of your of your MA? That seems like that wouldn't be that that would that wouldn't be on topic. Because one one piece that we focus on is multicultural competency. Uh, because this is not a program for the military. I did not choose the military track because the military is the same as everybody else. I have the experiences, so I don't need that track. The mind is still the mind. So as it relates to multicultural competency and learning about different cultures and the, how can I say this? Equality and equity and injustice that plagues the social media right now. There's topics that I have to navigate very carefully being yeah. who I am, who I am and right. the fact that I am the only man in my class, which solidifies that my opinion does not matter because I'm here to become a therapist and everyone's entitled to their opinions and I will listen to them. If they want my perspective, I will oh captain, my captain. How can that not affect the 
quality though of treatment that you are learning to give because isn't it something where you have to be able to to trust the source of where you're getting your education from and is it, if there's too much opinion or too much stuff that's not backed up with empirical evidence doesn't that end up yeah but when we do those types of discussions and it turns into that melting pot that is what it is. It's a part of a discussion. I learned the context mm. of the information I need. Okay. Opinions are shared. But gotcha. when I went through my residency week and we were doing therapy with one another, that's when individuals can talk about whatever they want and I can help them navigate whatever those topics are. Gotcha. 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 So that makes sense. Um, I want to talk about it since you're talking obviously about the patient a lot and that you're there as the therapist to serve them. Let's talk about your ideal patient. What is the most helpful mental trait to have if you are seeking help for mental health issues? What should you, just one thing that somebody should have a, a mindset, a mind frame, a, a quality and attitude, whatever that they can that you as a therapist find helpful and without which makes treatment very difficult. If they want to grow over whatever the uh, stuck point firecracker is. Most people go to, most people go to therapy because they want to fix something. Most people come to BAS because they have a firecracker that they're trying to work their way around. Do they always want to grow or do they just want the problem to be fixed? Same thing in my opinion. Okay. But as, as a therapist in training, I mean, I, my ideal client, I have my ideal communities that I want to work with. Mm -hmm. I want to work with the military or the correctional system because they're closely aligned to us. Um, do you mean correctional officers or inmates as well? Inmates. All civil service providers I put into the veteran group. Gotcha. Um, when I'm done with this next year, I begin my clinical hours. And there's a few clinics around here that I want to get my hours so I can become licensed. And then as I'm working at a clinic because I need those experiences regardless. I intend to figure out the way I can pull those topics into BAS ethically. And then as I get my foundation established with the license, then it's on to the next degree. I can't let uh, that go that when you're bringing up uh, dealing with inmates, uh, folks that listen to the show know I, I, that's always going to be a, a, I spent six years working in various prisons in New York and LA. And I, uh, that's always a subject that's going to be close to my heart. Yeah. Um, can you just talk a little about what your, I, I, I think the parallels between inmates and military um, m- m- yeah, it might be a little bit more self-explanatory, but I'm interested in what your interest is with inmates and 
um, where if there are differences that you see that are from a treatment perspective and cha- different challenges that you see to overcome with them and what that um, what's appealing about that to you? The reasons they join that community are far different than ours. Sure. First and foremost, the reasons in which they joined may have stemmed from similar things for our reasons to join the service. Mm -hmm. Because again, Mm -hmm. trauma is trauma and you cannot measure, you can't play the totem pole game. The, and I have never been in a correctional system yet. Knock on wood. Um, I would imagine that the camaraderie is somewhat similar. Not to the same extremes, but I'm sure there's cliques and they connect with one another and they rely on one another in various ways. They have, and this is all ignorance on my end, structure within the system. They go back to an unhealthy culture. Their integration process is loosely aligned with ours. Get a job, check in with your PO. And then they probably have an easier way to cope with it because they can just go right back to that community. I don't know a lot about that sphere but i can see some similarities with us i can see that some of us like to participate in that sphere sure sure Um, there's absolutely similarities i think the differences i would imagine from a therapist's point of view would be fascinating though or or where the fascination lies and I'm, i'm hypothesizing but because I just think um, the criminal mindset, and and there's no other way to put it. I mean, man, there's a, there's degrees of deviousness, and I mean, connive. I've never seen. You know, I mean, I get it. You, know, you got 24 hours to scheme and plan in there, and um, and you certainly see the people that are terrified. Um, guys that would show up with, you know forks and all that and buried in their leg or whatever but you know yeah i mean but i th- but i think the criminal mindset to me i i would imagine if i were a therapist would be fascinating to me to be able to look at people with extreme personalities extreme personality disorders and i'm i might be using all this nomenclature wrong this is not my area of expertise but i mean you tell me, I mean, is there any part of that that's interesting or appealing to you of kind of, and this is my language, I would not ask you to ascribe your your mindset to this, but yeah, I want to see the freak show. Yeah, I want to see things at their absolute worst. I want to see human nature on its most extreme display. Is there any part of that that's appealing or am I mischaracterizing this completely? I just, I see a lot of similarities with us. As I mentioned, yeah, and I'm, I can guess at some of the reasons in which they end up there, their behaviors. Um, I am more than willing, since I'm already canvassing for my clinical hours, 
I'm going to have a few of those places within my hopper. If I do end up at one of those, I will definitely jump back on a call with you in a year <laughs> and we can talk about it. <laughs> I would love that, man. Um, no, th- that's just fucking, I, I think that's, it's, it's a super I've, interesting world. I, and from a therapist's point of view, I think it'd be really interesting. I, I definitely, um, I've always had a fascination with it. Yeah. And with my fascination with our mind, there's a lot of things that I would want to observe and learn about through them. Because yes, that is probably one community that is very one-sided, I think. Mm -hmm. The, the The most people that talk about it are the people that work there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is one sided, even though some individuals, Hannibal Lecter, Rob Zombie's Halloween, those characters, it'd be interesting to learn. Right. 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 Um, <clears throat> what I would like to do with you right now, and I know it's your show, so you you tell me. No, I love it. I love where your head's going. Okay. I would like to shift fires for a minute. Okay. And go backwards to those firecrackers that I dealt with. Mm -hmm. And I know that you had some hesitancy on how to address some of the topics. Mm -hmm. So I can give a very broad stroke of what happened. That'd be good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay, because that's it's a topic that a lot of people need to hear, and I don't know where this is going to go, our conversation, but if this conversation can fall into somebody's ears at two in the morning, that's a win. Um, so when I got out of the service, I was medically retired for a variety of different reasons, and. I had, at the time, went back to the border of Wisconsin and Illinois, right on the border. And um, my immediate thought was, I need to take care of my family. So I got a job working as a supervisor at a distribution center that was a chill freeze area. It was the Tyson breakfast Mm. bowls yeah and that shit hurt my body (laughs) that cold Uh, i did that for almost a year and then i don't know what happened a recruiter i think from like a temp agency hired me to work at a vehicle manufacturing plant in the area so i was working there as a foreman I had my two sons, my wife, I started my undergrad and throughout the process, I was getting situated with the VA. I was on probably a dozen different pills. The factory, we would bring in a new car and that takes a lot of work because they have to set up all Mm. the, uh, all the robots and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, I went from running 
think about 40 people to about a hundred something people we started to cover down on multiple areas and it was very easy working 60 to 80 hour work weeks when we would launch a car it would be yeah. 80 80 to 100 sure so i'd be living there um during that process i had my daughter and uh trying to remember everything i have no issues sharing when we were at our busiest i was working a split shift monday tuesday night friday saturday day you can imagine how that is on the headspace sure um through this process i was suppressing a lot of things uh issues i was very angry a lot the job was easy it felt like a simple transition over just moving bodies um i was having problems sleeping i was having nightmares drinking things like that and my wife and i we had a lot of issues with a emotional wall that i had I had a hard time opening it up, showing, carrying emotions. Um, mm. <clears throat> at the same time, and this is kind of jumping ahead, her coping mechanism was character assassination. You're a POS dad. And you need to do this better. Quit effing up. Things like that. She didn't understand what was going on with me and her way to get me to function was to essentially be a non-com. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then one evening I was working Monday night and I cannot remember what song or artist came on, but some song was playing and, I don't know what happened, but like I went out back and I was falling apart, crying and stuff, collected myself, went back to work, got home like seven in the morning. Kids are getting ready to for school. I'm home for about 10 minutes, falling apart again. I was like, hey, I got to go back to work. I'll see you later. So went to work during day shift, did a lot of administrative things and then stayed till my shift that following evening. So. Over the course of about six months, I tried to give up, commit suicide three different times. And thank God I suck at something, hmm. just to put it lightly. Um, and through the process of all of that, I was heavily drinking yeah. at work, at home. Um, I'm getting fights. If I had a meltdown at home, there is some holes that I had to patch up in the walls. Uh, I committed adultery. I found a individual that I confided in and that emotional bond, I believe was the, uh, life preserver for me. 
as uncomfortable as that is to hear from anyone that's listening, it's true. My spouse did, her and I did not have any intimacy for over a year. And during that time of despair, I fell on that other individual for emotional support. Um, During those months, I ended up getting, and I don't know how, again, my boss coordinated with my mother to get me admitted to this program called The Road Home. It's out of Chicago. It's a veteran thing. Um, Didn't lose my job at all during the entirety of this. And I was there for a month. And it was pretty amazing. My boss was like some 20-year UPS guy that ended up coming over. But he had a very military mindset. Like he kind of understood what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this, I call it an inpatient. I don't think it technically is because they put you in essentially like a barracks you get your own room and you go to class for a month Mm. right there and over that month being there i met i don't know a dozen other guys dealing with stuff and through that process i was learning about what was going on with me i was realizing that i wasn't special was dealing with things that a lot of people deal with. Um, and that location is the Etch-A-Sketch for mm-hmm. what was to come. And even though I have to backpedal a little bit, when I got out of the service, I didn't talk to anybody from the service. I met one dude from Wounded Warrior Project. And... Uh, he was like my only only military contact. And through the years from getting out, every now and then I would connect with somebody and one of two things would happen. I would be ridiculed for having problems or I would find, it, find out that person wasn't here anymore. And that pushed me to close the Rolodex on reaching out. And a lot of dudes don't want to reach out, dudes, dudettes, because they don't want to be ostracized or told to suck it up or find out that somebody's not here. And I've lost a lot of friends to suicide. And the divorce piece came directly after I got out of that program and uh, I realized that I had to file for divorce Mm. because of the all in all we were married for 10 years so I think it was like year eight at that time, year seven at that time. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I had no idea who I was. And I understood that I had no idea who she was. 
for the seven years that I was in the service, and I know anyone that's military is going to get this, our interaction was maybe two two years out of that from field ops deployments, whatever. So I had no idea who she was besides being the mother of my kids. Um, And then with her coping mechanisms during my issues, I realized that I had to figure out who I was to be a better me, to be a better father. And my justification was that there is so much troubled water under the bridge that I had no idea what clean water even looked like. And due to the issues that we had over the years, I feel that she was a focal point around trauma. And then as the process started, some things were shared out loud that reminded me that I'm. Oh, shit. Yeah, sorry. Hey, what's up, James? Perfect. Thanks, man. I was really appreciate it. That was nope. some well-planned timing on my part. Um, anyway, yeah, let's no. let let's run you back <laughs> into in into that because I, yeah, that was um, beyond interesting. Okay, so um, let's start talking. Let's get into the divorce part then. So now, so you decide to file. So because I didn't truly have a relationship established with her because of the unhealthy lifestyle that the two of us built together, coming out of a coming out of Dante Alighieri's seventh circle, to put it lightly, I made the decision that in order to be the best version of myself, I had to take care of myself, which would make me a better father in the process. That was a really backwards type of sentence, but you get the gist of what mm-hmm. I'm saying. I made the decision that in order to be a better Tyler and a better father, I had to end that relationship because it was not healthy. And it was a hard decision, of course. However, when the early proceedings began, it became very clear that I made the right decision based on things that were shared within the legal process. Um, Tyler, can, I, re- stop, can I stop you for one second? Because I want to ask just a couple of questions about that. Go for it. <clears throat> First, can you talk about your thought process between your need for self-care and to be a better person so you can be a better father and how you got to that point, weighing it against your children's ostensible need for a two-parent home and a stable family life and all that? I endured months of terror, self-induced, and coming out of failed attempts to end my own life multiple times, 
followed up with going to a facility in this city to work on my mental health. I realized that first and foremost, I can't quit. I suck at that, clearly, to put it ignorantly. And coming out of that hospital setting, I was able to learn a lot of things about what I was going through and having a solid foundation to move forward. There was, I don't know, eight years of developmental issues being created between my ex-spouse and I through the time in the service, the issues I had post-service, how she reacted to those things. And it was such a long firefight together Mm. that I had to get off of the ex and make her an ex, no pun intended. Um, That really is a bumper sticker right there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hey, I'm trying to bring a little light to the topic. (laughs) Um, I can't quit. I suck at quitting. The only way forward or the only way to go is forward. And I have to find the means to figure out who I am because I want to be here now. And there's so much trauma and pain within this relationship with one another that this can't continue. I've made substantial growth in a month at this clinic that I want to make something out of this process. And because I have committed to so much growth within 30 days, not exponential, but right. not enough to have some footwork about me. Yeah. My partner hasn't grown. I have to do something that's healthy for me. There's trauma and anger and resentment within this relationship. And the only thing I have control of is how I respond or react in a situation. And in order to prevent myself from potentially going back down that same slope again, I have to step away from her. And of course, dismantling the household is traumatic for the kids. But if I am going to make the decision to file for divorce, I have to understand that their father is still here. And that is the most important piece. Number one, I'm not dead, to put it ignorantly. I would much rather be divorced and not with my kids every day, pursuing a path of growth and health and recovery than to be in that same space, causing additional problems for multiple people. So there's no degree of treatment you could have gotten that would have made you stable in that marriage. Potentially, but that goes back to our earlier conversation of what ifs. Yeah, right, right. But you were at the place where you waited and were like, I don't, it's, it, it, you didn't assess it as likely enough to take that course of action. So I'm assuming it was one of those things where you're like, hey, it's death or divorce. And in that case, divorce is infinitely better. Yeah. And with the with some of the therapy that we had, with her character assassination, with my experiences, with the years of issues, I had to weigh the variables. Yeah. And 
It was extremely hard. And hard is such a low word to put it. That was beyond courageous to make that decision. To step away from her. That's why most families don't do that. That's why they stay together because of the kids. Yeah. And it's, it was a hard decision. It is still a hard thing today because my kids are four and a half hours away from me. However, I am here. I have grown. I have recovered. I have expanded monumentally, astronomically. And through those painful times that I've gone through, our community back on veterans. Yes, there's some of us that deal with significant issues such as suicidal ideation. A lot of us deal with various problems in general. You know that. I know that. It's called life. My education, my academia crusade, I think that's a better way to phrase it because it's going to be a long journey. I am doing these things for myself and for the community because I feel one of the worst feelings. I feel that one of the worst feelings is not feeling when brothers pass away anymore. Yeah. And if I can take my education and make some sort of impact on this community, I feel that is enough to make up for mm-hmm. my sins, my regrets, mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that. But at the same time, like with back asthma solutions, I don't want people to go down the path that I went, be it divorce, the mental health problems, any of that stuff. And if I can use, if I can use BAS as a resource for people to break the stigma and force their foundational habits, minimize their likelihood of the descent on the emotional roller coaster. That's a win for me because we all, as we've talked about, have experienced so much and we have so much more ahead of us. And a lot of us have various stuck points that sometimes causes us to close the book of life instead of starting another chapter. BAS is allowing people to shoot that new azimuth, develop that SOP, that sense of purpose, circumvent around those obstacles like prohibiting a divorce. Um, And with BAS, with the Academia Crusade, I want, need to establish deliverables for our demographic, be it assisting the transition, be it building the BAS comic book duty logbook, be it establishing that Camp Crystal Lake where people can come to to learn various different things right after their transition that is paid for for them. Yeah. And I do not see this is me as an individual. I do not see enough people 
sharing their stories of pain, of growth, talking about mental health. And I'm talking the veteran space. I don't expect that from active duty. And we as a community are doing a lot of good without a doubt. But as it relates to the human element of it, I feel that there's not enough exposure of that. Leadership lessons, machine gun photos, stupid rap music. It's all fun and good, but it doesn't serve the human element. And we get so indoctrinated into utilizing close air support, support by fire, machine gun support, a second squad as quick reaction force, tanks, artillery, high Mars. We have all these different attachments on our weapons. We have squad members with different responsibilities. We have all these different supporting assets to help us achieve our objective overseas or here. Yeah. Yeah. But we get out of the service and we like to think that we're going to lone wolf it and that we don't need a squad anymore on this patrol called life, that we can be the lone ranger that can figure this shit out. But if you look at a wolf pack, they are tribe orientated. And if a wolf is by itself and gets hurt, it's going to die in the elements. In our community that is so used to calling for fire support on different things or going to leadership schools or rank schools to become more proficient at our jobs. We stop applying that shit when we get out of the service and we go be a foreman at a factory and don't talk to anyone. And it blows my mind because all of that painful shit that happened to me as it relates to mental health was a few years ago. The struggle happened a few years before that. There is so many people now online that carry weight with their voice, be it you, be it kill zone, goons up, be it random dude with a small following that shares things that's a mental health advocate. There's so many people out there that are doing good things now compared to when I got out, when you got out. Sure, sure. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I feel that more people need to voice these things because it doesn't make us weak. That's one thing I can't stand about the stigma, especially for active duty. If you're struggling with something, you're combat ineffective. If you want to support your brothers, you got to take care of your shit. And then as it relates to getting out of the service, a lot of people say they want to live their life to honor their brothers and all of that jazz, mm-hmm. be, it, be it KIA or the ones right. that committed suicide. Right. They're all, right. the death doesn't matter. They're not here. That's what matters. And I figured instead of living a life to honor our brothers, live a life that I deserve that way when I actually have my time card punched the right way that I can enjoy some rippets and some armor reds with them and they yeah. can be proud of the life of it. Right. But living a life for them, I feel is a disgrace to myself. And you're not letting go of the past. And if there's one recurring theme 
in your life and in your treatment, it seems like it's pushing forward and looking yeah. forward and staying in the present and fo- and looking at the future, not dwelling and, and glorifying the past. And and that's why I say blaze forward yeah. a lot. Yeah. The past, the past is important. I never dismiss or ignore the past because right. it makes us who we are, but. And you have to analyze it. You have to analyze it too, right? You have to learn from the past. You can't just shut it out, but then yeah, you, you analyze it, you reflect on it, you practice gratitude towards it, and then you move, you expand forward. Yeah. So yes, my, my past is very much a part of my present, but I am not sitting here at nighttime reflecting on things from the service, or I shouldn't have gotten a divorce or things like that. Right. Right. But Right. A lot of those things that have happened have enforced my why today. Tyler, give everybody um, all your data, all your contact stuff, so that they know how to reach you if they're listening, if they're driving, whatever. Um, Instagram, website address. How can people get in touch with you? So the Instagram handle is back azimuth solutions the website's back azimuth solutions.com if and i share this with anyone that sends me a dm on instagram there is a facebook but i don't use that crap it's a poisonous platform (laughs) um if anyone listens to this and makes it all the way through because this is a long one. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, and I feel bad for the people that dipped out before the end of it, because that's where the money is. No, no. Oh, just sorry. I got an intro coming for them to tell them to list, skip ahead if they need to. Yeah. Okay. Um, like I tell anyone that sends me a message on Instagram, if there's any questions, stuck points that people are navigating within their own cornfields, send me a message. Not everyone within the BAS space needs a life coach. And I don't consider myself a life coach. I consider myself Overwatch talking you onto your target. If you don't need Overwatch or a coach, that's fine because it's a educational platform first. This is a services. If people want it, they'll reach out to me. But if people have a question, and I get it all the time, people just with questions about stuff, I'll answer it. Because yeah, I feel like I've overused it on this conversation. We're all on this patrol called life together. And that's something that I failed failed to realize prior to my rebirth. Dude, I think and, we... Oh, sorry, no, go ahead. And I don't have all the answers. And I'm not a mental health professional yet. And if someone's dealing with something, you can reach out to me because I'm a brother first. And if I don't have the answer, I will get the answer or I will provide you resources. I am currently developing another individual to support me with MPAS. So you're growing. That's yeah. fucking great. That's great, dude. This has been a long time coming, and I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm going to say this in the intro. Um, I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to have you on the show. Really looking forward to it. And we had a really good day yesterday at work. A lot of good stuff was happening. 
And then when it got here today, I was like, man, I got the stuff I want to talk to you about was dark. And I was like, I know where I want to go with this. And I was like, I'm not in the headspace where I want to go dark there. And I'm glad. And, and it was kind of my aversion to talking about that. I'm so glad that you brought that stuff up because obviously the show shouldn't be totally dictated by my whims and where my head is every day. And, um, dude, this is to be continued. We've got a lot. Uh, I, I can't wait to have you back on in the fullness of time because um, to see where you are when you get certified and, and, and you can speak with the, the weight, the full weight of certified authority as well. But I mean, I, I think this is obviously these issues aren't going to be solved in the veteran community probably before we speak again. Oh, that it would. But we know that probably won't happen. But to be able to keep tabs on it and keep a finger on the pulse of you and of what you're doing to support the veteran community and your own journey. Um, I really look forward to that, man. I really thank you for all the stuff you're doing. Thank you, brother. That was Tyler Heisey's profile in Havoc. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I really, really enjoyed talking to Tyler. I should say something since this is the end of the episode, I'll give you guys a little insight into uh, some more of my thoughts. Uh, about the interview. It was funny because Tyler and I were talking before the show offline. And, you know, it was just a normal conversation between dudes. And then when the show started, it was, you know, and I think pretty much throughout the show, he gave very, uh, you know, he would take his time thinking before he would talk. And then he would give very concise, succinct, but thorough answers. And I think when he didn't, uh, the one place that stands out to me that he didn't do that was when he started to talk personally about his own experience. I say that to say, and I I meant to ask him about this on air. Sometimes you have to make tactical decisions in the moment about whether or not you're going to go down a rabbit hole with somebody and ask them uh, something or not. I decided not to. But I'm going to speculate on why he did that. And I'm pretty sure I'm right. And I'm sure Tyler will let me up if I'm not. But my sense is Tyler doesn't fuck around with mental health. He takes the subject very, very seriously. It's not something he's willing to talk about extemporaneously, off the cuff, uh, you know, speculate on, just offer opinions on. It's something he does not want to get over his skis on. And I think, you know, his his um his due diligence, I guess is the best way of saying it, to take the time that he needed to take to think through the question, think about the ramifications and think about the best way to capture um, the the best, most holistic, comprehensive, um, uh, uh, you know, thought and, and, and response to the question was really um, compelling to me. And, and I'm grateful he did that. It's the difference between a, pro- a professional or, in Tyler's case, uh, almost professional and, um, you know, a layman who had, might be insightful, might have opinions, but is just a layman. And I appreciated the, uh, sobriety and the, um, thoughtfulness that Tyler gave to that. Um, so it does make for the interview, uh, it do- does make for a, um, it's funny. It made for a somewhat, I don't want to say stilted conversation, but it's definitely not a natural conversation. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. We're not having a, uh, hey, we could be eating lunch while we're doing this, you know, chill conversation where it really flows. It was very much a, um, you know, 
it was an ask and answered kind of question, uh, kind of interview where I had to really think through what I was going to ask because I knew he was going to pick it apart in his mind and really um, try to answer directly. I say all that to say as a long way of saying, I think this is going to be the first of many conversations Tyler has with me, or at least if I have my way, I would like it to be the first of many conversations we have because clearly the mental health issues and their relevance to the veteran community are not going anywhere. And um, it would be good to touch base with them periodically. You guys let me know too, if it's something you'd like to hear more of. I definitely would like to hear more of it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that and got as much out of it as I did. By all means, check the show notes, look for his links. As he said in the episode, he you know answers a lot of DMs, goes direct with people frequently, even if it's not on a formal basis. And, um, and his content on social is really good. Uh, the stuff he puts out on a, if it's not a daily, it's gotta be a semi-daily or <clears throat> no, no, pretty consistent, uh, basis. It's really worth checking out. Very, very interesting stuff. Okay. We started this episode by talking about second mission foundation, the great work that they are doing and, uh, and thanking them for being one of the sponsors of this week's episode. I'd now like to thank the other sponsor of this week's episode and that is Veterans Repertory Theater, which, full disclosure, is my nonprofit. Veterans Repertory Theater is a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events. So when you think of Vet Rep, of Veterans Repertory Theater, you should think of all live performance artistic media. <clears throat> now, obviously, we call ourselves Veterans Repertory Theater. Theater is a big part of that. But we also have lines of effort dedicated to veterans in all artistic media that can be leveraged for live performances. The big thing is, though, it is live performances. That is our passion. That is what we like to do. We do like to bring people together. It's something, and I, I started to use this parallel more and more when describing vet rep to people. You know, like Keith Walter Dow and some of those great dudes over at Dead Reckoning, what they've done has really birthed more poetry coming out of the veteran community than must be coming out of Brown at this point. You know, it's, they've really um, taken an art form that was deeply underutilized and anathema to the veteran community. And veterans have now started to use it and find the beauty, the necessity, the, the um, importance of it in their own experience. We're kind of doing the same thing, but in the live performance space. So whether it's a proper play, proper theater, or whether it's um, experiential performances, um, performance art, uh, micro festivals, that kind of thing, immersive theater, um, whatever it is, that's the stuff that we live for. And yes, there is a lot of, lot of overlap between uh, the talent that we will sometimes lean on and talent that you can find in some other organizations, the difference being that we you know, focus everything on live performance um, and more and more opportunities for that, uh, whether it's stand-up comedy, storytelling, and all that. Um, but, but our focus is on that live performance. And, the li and when it's not theater, when it's not pure theater, what we're finding is that we really try to integrate and make an immersive theatrical experience as opposed to just putting together an open mic and basically bringing up one act after another, after another, that's not, you know, there is an inherent theatricality to what we try to do. We're not really here just to, you know, throw people up on stage. Anybody can do that. <clears throat> what we do is we really curate heavily. We direct heavily. We produce heavily to create that experience. 
That's kind of just what we enjoy doing. And it's a lot of work makes for a lot more ass pain in putting on events, but I hope it's worth it. And I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you haven't experienced any of our stuff, please come out and do so. You can check out everything we have going on at vetrep.org. That's a V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. As your best place to see everything that we have going on, including the Savage Wonder Festival and uh, yeah, all the other stuff we have going on. I'll give a couple of shameless plugs. If you're in the greater Cornwall, New York, Orange County, New York area in the dangerously near future, we currently have shows at our parlor in Cornwall every Saturday night. Currently, we're doing admissions by Joshua Harmon. We will soon, come October, be doing the 39 Steps. Uh, These are staged readings. We're going to have live sound effects on stage. It's going to be badass. It's incredible. Come on out and see it. It's professional actors doing great intimate theater for low to no cost to you. It's uh, pay what you can tickets. And you can come to our (laughs) interestingly designed, it's like Sherlock Holmes Den, the parlor that we've created. We've wallpapered the crap out of it. It's a cozy, awesome, intimate space to see amazing world-class theater done right you know up close and personal and it makes for a really cool experience anyway we look forward to seeing you guys out here out there here well it depends if you're close to me then you're here um (laughs) the other stuff that we have going on this is what happens when i do a show after lunch and my brain is like fried and i don't always use the words i meant to use um but at this point i mean if you're still listening to the show at this point i figure like you want to be here so uh there you go Okay, other stuff I need to shamelessly plug. On October 13th at SUNY Rockland, or Rockland Community College, but it's part of the SUNY chain of colleges in New York, uh, we will have the very first public workshop of one of the plays that we have in development. The play is Local Gods by Anton Sattler, former Marine infantry officer, wrote a dynamite play, and it is the very first step of developing that play. Uh, we wanted to put it in front of an audience just to get audience feedback, have the actors give feedback, uh, make it a very communal experience to hear the play out loud. It'll be the first time Anton has heard the play top to bottom, which is going to be very, very cool. Um, you know, it's all professional actors. It's all very well done, but you know, the plays, you know, it's raw. It's the first time we're hearing it out loud. And so we're going to, you know, your input uh, if you happen to be there, is deeply appreciated. Uh, for details on that, the best thing to do, again, go to vetrep.org, go to our Now Playing tab. You'll see where that's listed. Um, you can get tickets for free online, or you can show up at the door and get them for free there. But it's all free tickets. It's just to get people there that <clears throat> generally are going to have some degree of worthwhile feedback, either because they know theater or because they know the military or both. Or none. I mean, uh, far be it for me to put a limit on it. Um, those are the two obvious categories we see people having f- good feedback uh, in. But, you know, hell, you could be a dry cleaner and come in and blow our minds with some insightful piece of feedback. So far be it for me to, to limit the possibilities. Anyway, that's October 13th at SUNY Rockland in Rockland County, Suffern, New York. So uh, that's one thing. And then just pushing it out one more month. In on, on Veterans Day in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia, we will have the very first Savage Wonderground event, which I am incredibly nervous about. <laughs> I'm 
Am I allowed to say that? Is that something any promoter would ever say? Um, I don't know. It's, I'm really excited about it. It is a bit of a second order effect of the Savage Wonder Festival that we did on Memorial Day weekend. We're doing these micro festivals where we're doing basically a two hour block of multimedia veteran art in a live, in immersive, intimate live performance, experiential theater setting using local veteran artists to wherever the location is. And it's, uh, you know, going to be essentially just a quick shot of immersive experiential theater. The first one will be on Veterans Day night, 7 p.m. at the Principal Gallery, which is awesome, world-class art facility, art gallery in uh, Old Town Alexandria, right on King Street. So if you're in the area, we'd love to see you there. The way that it works, and I think it's important to talk about the economics because some people will see the price point. We haven't decided, or right at this moment, I haven't 100% decided on the price point, but it's important for you guys to know all the proceeds get split evenly between vet rep and the performers. Yes, vet rep collects money as well because, you know, Hell, motherfucker, we're putting on the event, so we're going to take some money too. But all the performers are getting an equal cut. And I say that because that's really important for you guys to know that if you're showing up, you are literally showing up and supporting the people on stage. Um, you know, this is part of why Vet Rep exists is to make sure that people can have viable careers and make money off of art. And and that'll never happen, you know, 100%. Art, art is not... Very few people make full, full-time full careers in any artistic medium, but you can certainly make a good sideline out of it, and you can certainly be recognized, and you can certainly win awards, and there can certainly be a lot of good things that happen, and we just want to make as many of those happen as possible for our veteran artists or the veteran artists we work with. We don't personally have veteran artists, but that's what's going to be happening on Veterans Day night in Old Town Alexandria, the very first Savage Wonderground at the Principal Gallery on King street. So again, we're going to have an event right up. Shit. I just realized we're not going to have the link up for it right now, but subscribe to our mailing list. We will absolutely be plugging the shit out of this. Once the links are up and firing for you to be able to get tickets and come see us. If you're in the area during that time. Okay. I think that's everything I have to shamelessly plug for right now. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing else I'm going to plug. Okay, so guys, I uh, can't wait to see you um, at any of our live events. And thank you for listening all the way to the bitter end of this podcast. Uh, we'll have another one coming up on the heels of this. So stay tuned for, um, God, I don't even remember who our next guest is. Anyway, it'll be coming. <laughs> all right, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. Uh, I'd like to thank our producer, Michael Neal, as always. And um, on behalf of Tyler Heisey, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for another Profile in Havoc.